Merging finances is more than just combining bank accounts. It's working together with the good, bad, and awkward, including dealing with debt. Today, we're discussing the legalities of who's responsible for what, how credit scores can affect some things within your relationship, and how to dump debt together. Welcome to Couple Money, a podcast focused on helping spouses get on the same page, dump their debt faster, and get on the path to financial freedom together. I'm your host, Elle Martinez. This podcast is brought to you by Coastal Credit Union. Coastal's mission is to help you live a better life by offering you a better way to bank. Learn how by visiting bankbetter.org. Marriage is about two lives coming together. And it can be a wonderful feeling to know that you have someone to watch your back through thick and thin. Part of coming together, though, is dealing with your finances. And for many couples, debt is a chunk of that. Between credit cards, car and student loans, and maybe a mortgage, the two of you could be starting off your marriage in the negative. As a couple, you know that paying down is the way you want to go. But you also have other concerns on your mind. If one or both of you come in with debt, Who's legally responsible for what? What about debt that you take on after you're married? What if the two of you have drastically different credit scores? How will that affect plans that you have, perhaps buying a house down the line? These are questions that many couples have, which is why I'm happy Leslie Tain is here today. Leslie is an attorney who specializes in debt resolution, and she has over 20 years of experience helping clients get debt relief. She's going to share her expertise on how debt can affect your finances and marriage. In this episode, we'll get into who's responsible for what legally when it comes to debt, dealing with situations that can come up when one spouse has a higher credit score than the other, and then ways to talk about debt and work as a team to get rid of it. Why don't we get started? Whether you're a newlywed or you two have been married for years, you may be wondering, with the debts that we have, which ones am I responsible for, legally speaking? And this isn't just a concern with couples who are worried about divorce. It could be a situation where, unfortunately, something happens to your spouse. They are injured or dealing with a disability or something along those lines. And so you're trying to sort everything out. So understanding how debt works before and after you're married can be a smart move. Most all debt will remain separate so okay. long as it's in separate names. So mm-hmm. premarital debt like student loan, mm-hmm. cars, credit cards, mortgages, ATVs, mm-hmm. campers, uh, whatever that you had pre-marriage in your name in a contract with a creditor mm-hmm. will remain in your name. Okay. So if you have those creditors, when you get married, mm-hmm. it doesn't become the new spouse's responsibility, those debts. It doesn't automatically become the liability of the new spouse because you were yesterday, it mm-hmm. was in everybody's name. Today we're married and tomorrow we own the debt together. That debt still is responsible legally by yeah. that person. So you could build on that debt and mm-hmm. legally that debt is still the responsibility of the person's name it belongs to. So if you were to then get divorced, hypothetically, Mm -hmm. you would have marital debt, but the legality piece from a 
debtor-creditor aspect is that the individual who has the debt in their name is the one that that creditor can go after to collect the money. As a married couple, you can accumulate mm -hmm. debt together by co-signing, adding mm -hmm. your name to accounts. You mm -hmm. can medical debt in certain cases, even though it's only in one person's name. Mm -hmm. Once you're married, that debt could become the responsibility of the other spouse. Gotcha. Again, some of this will change state by state in terms mm -hmm. of the medical debt piece of it. But when you have a contract with a creditor, if you add your new spouse's name to your whatever you're adding them to, mm -hmm. that will become a liability to your new spouse. So keep it separate. I'm a huge fan of keeping it separate. There's no gotcha. reason to combine the debt. You could agree that you're both paying it, but mm -hmm. there's really no reason to combine that, uh, that premarital debt. And I think this is a key point to hone in on. Yes, you definitely want to work together with the debts because your finances affect each other, but you don't have to necessarily combine accounts. Besides dealing with debt in the sense of making those payments on a monthly basis, you may also be dealing with debt in a sense of your credit scores. Now, in case you're not familiar with credit scores, basically this is what lenders use. It's a number that calculates how credit worthy or likely you're gonna be paying off certain loans. And if you're trying to go debt-free for most of your things, it's not as big of a deal, but if you're deciding on making a purchase, perhaps buying a house and you're going to be getting a mortgage, your credit score is going to come into play. Sometimes one spouse has a much higher credit score than the other. What do you do then? Both of you have different credit scores and that credit score will go up and down. It, credit scores go up and down all the time for all different reasons. It's important that if one person if gets into trouble uh, from the perspective of the debt and yeah. one person's credit is poor because you can't pay it, you still have the other person who can gain the credit. So when you're going to get cars and you're going to get um, houses, as a general rule, most creditors will average the two. So okay. if you have one debtor with a 600 credit score and the other one has an 800 credit score, you, the average is still not going to get you top tier percentages in terms of your interest rates. Mm -hmm. So your goal when you're borrowing money, but whatever it is that you're buying, including credit cards, is to get the lowest possible interest rate. Mm -hmm. The lower your score, the lower the, the, the higher the interest rate is going to be and the lower your chances are of getting the better deal. So if you're getting a car and the car is for you and you have good credit, put it in your name. If your spouse needs a car and they don't have good credit and you want to put it in your name, you know, that's going to change your credit score because now you're going to have two cars in your name. If you mm. want to put it in both of your names, remembering that you could be the primary and your mm. spouse could be the secondary on a car and mm. they go off the primary, but at least your spouse's credit, it will be on the spouse's credit. So it starts to build credit. And here's where I just have a problem with how credit scores work. Now, I do understand that if someone gets a loan, the lender, of course, wants to know how likely is that loan going to get paid off. But your credit score doesn't necessarily answer that question. I've done a couple episodes about raising your credit score, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here. But it does only measure your history of paying back your loans, how many different accounts you have and if you've been late or not. But your credit score really doesn't take your whole financial picture into account. Your savings and investments aren't included in how the score is calculated. 
So really, I don't think it's an accurate reflection. Unfortunately, this is a tool that many lenders use. So be very careful when you sit down and decide if you're going to go for a loan, if it's going to be the right move for you. Poor credit is, um, can be a high credit score with no money in the bank. So you can mm-hmm. have a 740 credit score and no money in the bank. And yes, mm-hmm. you pay all your bills, but you have no money left over. You're not a, that's not a great credit candidate because if you go for a house, they're mm-hmm. going to look at the totality of your credit, including cash in the bank and cash on hand, and you don't have any. So you can mm-hmm. have a great, what, you can, what is considered a very good credit score and really not have good credit. So you can also have a low credit score, but you have a lot more cash on hand and you're in the process of rebuilding your credit because maybe you had some, there were some issues that you overcame mm-hmm. and you're actually a better credit candidate and you'll see more credit opportunities because you have, you owe less people money, but the score hasn't come up yet. Mm-hmm. So there, that is important to really understand because a lot of people come to me and they tell me I have great credit and then they can barely pay their credit card bills. Like I said, it's kind of bananas how that works, but it is something that you do need to understand if you're going to make a purchase like a house. And speaking of which, you definitely want to have a strategy and talk this through if you do have different credit scores. Not only is a house typically one of the biggest purchases you're going to make, but if your lender uses credit scores to determine your interest rate, and most do, then you want to make sure that you're getting the best deal that you can with the circumstances you have. So if there's a reason why that spouse is going to bring you down when it comes to the credit score, Mm -hmm. before you buy that house, before you pull the trigger and, and sign a contract and then try to get a mortgage, you will want to talk to a bank about Mm -hmm. the impact of the spouse's credit score, the two of you buying the house. That's state by state. So, um, so don't, you know, I can tell you what it is in New York Mm -hmm. and Florida, but as far as other states go, I recommend that you talk to a licensed mortgage uh, banker in that state who can give you advice. Look at your credit scores Mm -hmm. from a mortgage perspective, which is different than a car, which is different from your credit cards because the scoring models are slightly different. Mm-hmm. You want to look at that and you want to do that way ahead of time so that you guys can plan to build your credit, build your cash reserves so that mm-hmm. you're in a position to get the best possible rates and not have to pay PMI. So if you haven't already, it's important now to set aside some time to talk about improving your finances in a way that can improve your credit score. So grab your credit report. Now that's the document that has all the accounts that you have out and the balances on them and your payment history. And the three credit bureaus have each their own record of that. And then from there, they were able to calculate your credit score, which is another thing that frustrates me. You have three different bureaus to worry about, but you can turn this into a positive thing because it does make you aware of the amount of debt that you're carrying. And as you're looking over your reports, you wanna make sure that it's accurate. You actually may be able to raise your credit score by having it correctly reflect the balances in your account history with the companies. And you can get a credit report from each of the bureaus for free every year if you go to annualcreditreport.com. And again, I do have a couple episodes about raising your credit score as well as articles. So I'm gonna include that in the show notes so you can go through the process on your own time. But talking about your credit scores and reports are just one thing that you need to discuss when it comes with finances. 
Let's be honest, it can be a little bit awkward and embarrassing to admit how much debt you're in. But this is crucial because if you're going to go forward together, you have to come up with a clear path and a good idea of where you're starting from. One of the biggest issues I see with couples is communication. So from, from early on, there was not open and honest communication about finances and spending and about really what's going on. So many people are embarrassed about having debt or dealing with debt. And if you're going into a second marriage and somebody was divorced, there's likely some sort of debt. If you're young and you went to school and graduate Mm -hmm. school, you likely have debt from student loans. Um, If you were in a situation where you were out of work for a while, there, there may be debt as a, you know, credit card debt, or you perhaps made some mistakes in your budgeting and you um, got behind and you took on a lot of debt. Either way, whatever the way it came into your being that you're in debt, first of all, from my perspective, I'm completely non-judgmental. So I'm, I feel like I'm the doctor yeah. of debt. So however it happened, it happened. But when I mm-hmm. see couples, there's a lot of anger and resentment that builds as a result of not having the information early on because mm-hmm. one of the partners will say, well, I would have made different decisions. I would have gone a different route. We could mm-hmm. have decided on something better or differently. So, mm-hmm. Or we wouldn't be in this mess if that my significant other had told me that this is what had gone on. Yeah. So you have to understand that communication is really key. Communication is a very broad term and it's very Mm -hmm. subjective, which means your version of communication and mine are two different things. I completely believe in everything on the table, especially if you're going to get married and join your finances. This segment is brought to you by Coastal Credit Union. If you want to live better, you got to bank better. Find out how at bankbetter.org. Before we wrap up, I want to share a few key takeaways I got from preparing this episode, as well as a money tip that you can use this week. The first one is everyone deals with debt differently. It sounds obvious, but when the two of you are in the thick of things, it feels bigger. We tend to focus on how much debt, but really if you're trying to open things up and come up with a plan to get rid of this debt faster, it's more important to get into the why and the how. The second thing is make talking about money a regular thing. Sometimes it feels easier not to talk about certain things and debt can fall into that category. You might talk about the bills, maybe here and there the budget, but when you leave out something significant like the debt that you have and how you're planning on getting rid of it, you're doing a disservice to your relationship and also to your finances. So I talk about this a lot on the podcast and I just want to emphasize going on money dates is a stress-free way to start talking about money in a setting that's more relaxed and where you guys are focused on the goals and then you bring in the numbers. And so that's related to the money tip for the week. If you haven't already, go ahead and get a snapshot of your accounts, the debts, the savings, all of it. Use an app, a spreadsheet, pen and paper, whatever you prefer, and actually get a clear idea of what you're dealing with. Make a promise that all you're going to do this week is just grab the numbers. Knock that out and then give yourselves a few days, maybe a week, to then talk about it. It'll allow you time to process and come at it from a more objective and hopefully empathetic perspective. And as you're going through these numbers again, just remember, celebrate what's going well, and then talk about 
the why and the how behind this. This can open up an opportunity to see where maybe you can work together on a particular bill or in a particular debt and move forward with your marriage and your money. But I know it can be hard to get started. So if you want to discuss this more, how to deal with debt, how to start the conversation, don't forget to join us in the Thriving Families group on Facebook. Our goal is to help one another out. You can head over there at couplemoney.com slash FB. We hope to see you there. Special thanks to Leslie for being a part of this episode. If you want to learn more or perhaps want to work with her, please check out her book, Life in Debt, or you can visit her at Tain Law Group. As always, I'll have the resources we mentioned in this episode, including those, plus some bonuses over at Couple Money, including our free course, Five Days to 5K, where I show you step-by-step how to find, save, and earn money to hit your big financial goals, including dumping debt. Next week on the podcast, we're discussing another difficult and tricky situation some couples have to deal with, financial infidelity. It can ruin both your marriage and your money. Learn how the two of you can set up a financial system that allows you to be open and honest about your money and work together. So if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You don't want to miss out on that episode. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, you name it. And finally, and most importantly, thank you so much for your support. I appreciate it. If you ever have any questions, ideas, or stories that you want to share, please reach out to me. I'm on social media at Couple Money. Or if you're part of the community with the newsletter, you can just hit reply. And if you want to join, it's simple. Just go to couplemoney.com slash join. It's free and easy. I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care.